Coming up tonight, we are back with our summer reading list. This time, Matt's book, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Plus, we preview the new XFL teams and talk a little bit about James Bond. It's a whole heck of an episode starting for you right now. This is Up for Debate, episode number 156, recorded August 22nd, 2019. Summer Book Club, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Up for Debate, the debate show where the two hosts agree on everything. I am Sean Jennings, joined as always by our very own wind-up bird, Mr. Matt Mariani. Hello, Matt. <laughs> How's it going, Sean? I don't know how it's going, Matt. How is it going? You tell me. You tell me. Um. Well, I think um, somebody might be a little bit confused about a no, certain book. No, not confused. <laughs> annoyed. Annoyed. Big oh. difference. All right. Well, let's okay. Let's unpack this a little bit. Um, to be fair, in my defense, this you chose the you kind of chose this book again, Matt. I will say, I haven't said whether or not I like the book or not. Don't get ahead of me on right. that. Here's right. what I'm saying: is in the back of your mind somewhere when you pitched up your four books for that episode, yeah, at, did at any point you say? This book is so big and complex, it will be impossible to have a sane discussion in about 40 minutes on. Well, I, I was thinking exactly the opposite, that it's so big and complex, it would have much to talk about. Also, I didn't, I did not imagine this would be the book you would, you would <laughs> so choose. So you chose it like, there's I no really way this idiot's going to choose this one. book. They, I, I think I said this in the episode. <laughs> I, think, I, I think I said, of all the books that I pitched... I, I, this was like the last one that I thought you were going to pick. <laughs> like you had the sleep book, which seemed like yeah, we you'd be interested in. Michael like Crichton. Everyone loves Michael science Crichton. Science and facts and stuff. And there's a Michael Crichton book of your choice. Yeah. Like you you could have picked any Michael Crichton book. I bought book. one. Um, I got, got them, them. I was never going to read it. Was, it was enormous. Like it was that a was even worse I, than this. But to be fair, I didn't. I didn't think you were going to look up the the page number. I thought maybe the premise would hook you or interest you. Because and you do like you like the the history books. So I bought it. Uh, so I'll read it eventually. Yeah, or or it'll just just sit somewhere. I don't think like it'll dust. fit on a on a bookshelf. It's on mine it's so barely. Big, barely. Yeah. Um, um. You could use it to to I guess bash in. Uh, burger, like burglars. <laughs> yeah, attack. It's a, a good idea. Invaders. I can use it to press flowers. Uh, all kinds home, of great home stuff. Defense. Yeah. yeah. So uh, here's the thing, Matt. Yeah. We will talk about this book this episode. Yes, here's what I'm going to tell the people listening to us at home. I'm going to come out. It's Matt. Do you like this book? Um. Do you want me to give my opinion so early? Uh, let, let me say this. Would you, you recommend people read it? I I think so. I think that everybody should read it. Just just to see whether they like it or not. It's I, one of those very much a litmus test books, I think. I would also recommend people read it. And the reason why I'm asking you this, Matt, is because everybody, we're going to spend the first part of the episode catching up with some XFL and James Bond stuff. Please listen to that. It's going to be fun and entertaining. When we get to the book part, don't listen to it unless you've read the book. Because A, we're going to spoil some stuff. I think this book would be better off not having been spoiled. And B, you're not going to understand what we're talking about. But Matt and I both recommend you go read the book. So listen to the first part, take a break, go read the book, come back, listen to the second part. Fair enough? I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. I think that's pretty reasonable. So, all right. Do let's, you want to um, start with Bond or the XFL? I want to start with the XFL. 
Okay, we had a big announcement. XFL, um, For yeah. folks who didn't listen last fall, we did a Up for Debate present series about the history of the original run of the XFL back in 2000-2001. Um, XFL is back next year, 2020, and we've been waiting for some news. We got it this week. The announcement of the eight teams, uh, their names and their logos. We knew the cities already, um, but the names and the logos of these teams, Matt. Uh, are you ready for the big reveal? Oh, yeah. I, I am... So ready. I mean, I, I, I found the reveal. Like, I, I read about it. But oh. I'm ready to talk about it with you. Yeah. Well, now, did you watch the little videos they produced for each team? I sure did. The vastly overproduced <laughs> classic XFL. Other than the yes. Bikini Girls missing, it's classic XFL. I loved every minute of these videos, can, Sean. Can I read every you minute. some of these? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Here we go. Deep in the heart of Texas beats a different kind of pulse. A spirit untamed, a swagger that can't be denied, where big meets bold meets badass. This is outlaw country inside the lines. This is hell on wheels between hash marks. This is their home on the range, the Dallas Renegades, raising hell, February 2020. (laughs) And they did one of these for each city. Yeah. I'm trying to f- – where did you find that? If you if you go to the XFL.com and you click on any one of the teams under Choose a City, they have all of the okay. uh, all the descriptions. I'm trying to – I'm going to try to find my favorite one. I think it it's was the tough. DC Defenders. Oh, DC Defender was good. Um, I think that was my favorite one. All right, yeah. A Force a force United. Wait, no. I, I started in the middle. <laughs> okay. Scratch that. Okay. On the shoulders of giants, they stand tall, unconquerable, unyielding, marching ever forward, a force united, one quest, one purpose, one resolve, seeking glory through grit, victory through valor, the DC defenders taking their stand, February 2020. Oof. Weak stuff, man. This is bad. <laughs> so let's go through the eight teams and their names. We have the Dallas Renegades. Yeah. Their logo is a bandito of sorts. Um, we have the Houston Roughnecks. Their logo is an oil derrick with an H in it. Uh, the Los Angeles Wildcats. Their logo is a stylized L.A. The New York Guardians. Their logo is a, I believe, to be some sort of gargoyle type uh, head. The St. Louis Battlehawks, who have a sword with wings. The Seattle Dragons, who have a dragon. Uh, the Tampa Bay Vipers, which is a V with fangs. And the Washington, D.C. Defenders, who have a shield with lightning bolts on it. Uh, Matt, your snap thoughts on these team names. Um, Sean, I think, I think, all right. I think some of them are pretty good. I think some of them are p- kind of weird. Um, I, I would agree. I guess, should, how should we do this? Do you want to tackle them one team at a time? Do you want to pick like our favorites or I think that, uh, all right, well, uh, how about we do like maybe a pros and cons? Maybe that's yeah, a good Yeah, there's way only to do eight it. of them. So let's go through and we'll just yeah. quick, quickly give our pros and cons on each starting. Uh, we'll do them in alphabetical yeah. order by city name, starting with the Dallas Renegades. All right. Um, good or bad? For, first first impression, first impression I get when I hear the Dallas Renegades is I think of the Renegade Steak from um, Texas Longhorn Steakhouse. So Ooh, I don't know if that's okay. good or bad. That's just a first impression uh-huh. of the Renegade. Um, also, uh, 
I, I don't I don't really like the name. I think I think maybe like the like the word renegade means like they're like treasonous or, or sketchy. Like not not it's definitely not my favorite name. However, I think the logo is pretty cool. Uh, the logo is like a a, um, a man with a cowboy hat with a one of those uh, bandana a bandana obscuring his face and he has like piercing red eyes. I think that's a cool. Uh, cool logo, um, a uh, good color pattern they've got going on. So overall, I think I'd give it like a B minus. Yeah, I agree. I think the icon is the most classic XFL. Like it's the only one to me that's like this guy's going to mess you up. Um, whereas some of these other ones are like the LA one we'll get to, but that's a joke. Uh, the name, you know, I don't mind it. I think it's good. Again, I want the classic XFL name. I think Renegade gets closer than some of these. Um, I think it's fine. I think it's like upper middle of the pack. I'd agree with your sort of B minus B. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's also kind of interesting to note that the Dallas Renegades are the only human logo. That is true. Mm -hmm. That is true. So good eye. Um, the Houston Roughnecks and their H in the oil, Derek. What do we think of this? Uh, now, all right. On the name, this is the kind of the exact reverse of, mm. the, of, of what I think about the Renegades. The Roughnecks have a cool name. I think it's a cool. It's a really neat name. I had to look up what a Roughneck was because I didn't. I had never heard the term before. And um, well, Webster's defines it as a rough and uncouth person. Or an oil rig worker. Yep. So I had never heard the the term before. I like it. I think it's a cool name, the Roughnecks. It's as far as I know, no. I mean, definitely, certainly, no professional team has it. I, I don't think any college has it either. I've never heard of a the Roughnecks. It it, it very much sounds like a it would be like a um like a minor league baseball team. Yeah. Or well, all of these kind of sound like minor league baseball teams. To be fair. Oh yeah, I guess when you <laughs> when you when you look at them, yeah. It's like, wait, isn't that an arena football team? That is true, very true. Uh, I like the H. In, now we get to the logo. Not so not so sold on the logo either. I think um, it's it's too reminiscent of the uh, Houston Oilers. I think it's it's maybe they were trying to make an homage to to their time, but um, I'm pulling up the Oilers logo now. Um, it's similar. And it's, it's similar it's, without the it has H. similarities. It does, but the um, the I, I mean, it, yeah. I guess I guess there's only so many ways you can draw an oil rig. Um, so I'll give them benefit of doubt. I think my rank for this would be I'd give it a B. I give them a solid B on this. Yeah, I kind of go the other way. I like that it's an homage to the Oilers. I actually think that's a good idea. Um, while I think the execution is just okay, I appreciate what they were going for. I like Roughnecks on paper, as you mentioned. I think the uh, definition applies, but I think saying Houston Roughnecks doesn't quite—it doesn't quite sound like a real team to me. I like it. I I, I like the idea about as much as I like the Dallas Renegades. So I will also do about a B, B plus, maybe a little better than the Renegades, but um, right, okay. right in the middle of the pack. I wouldn't say it's uh, my favorite. The Houston Roughnecks going to work for you February 2020. Be there. They may be playing the L.A. Wildcats, the Los Angeles Wildcats. Uh, their logo a stylized L.A. in orange and soft red, I guess I would say. Um, I'll start on this one. 
Uh, this is definitely the laziest, I think, of all of these. I'm not going to say it's bad because I actually think some of these other ones are worse. But it is lazy, both in name as the Wildcats, um, which has nothing interesting about it, and the fact that this is the only logo that is only letters. Um, and it's the mo if you just saw that LA, you would think it was like a hip restaurant or something. Um, the logo itself. It's got nothing to do with Wildcats. It's got nothing to do with football. It's got nothing to do with anything. I just think this is really lazy. Yeah. Though it will look really good on a t-shirt. That, uh, that's, yeah, I, I guess. It just could, doesn't scream football. You could, or, you could argue that, yeah, this, this looks like the one that whoever was in charge kind of like put it off to the last minute and then maybe like even scribbled something down at, at a pitch at the pitch meeting or on the way to the, like in the elevator, like on the way to the pitch meeting, very lazy, very lazily done. It really is just a, a script L a, um, and there's two, in my opinion, there are too many, there are too many teams, too many LA teams use this exact same logo already. I mean, not the exact same, not the same style, but it's very, very similar. It's, it's similar LA, to the LA Galaxy. You think the LA Galaxy is almost, it's almost exactly the, like an exact car, uh, copy of the LA Galaxy logo. Yep. But you think even the, even the LA Angels, the LA Dodgers. The Kings. Um, the LA Kings, like every single one has the LA on it. And I don't know. It, it, it's, it's very lazy for me. Wildcats is also kind of a lazy name. Hilariously that's like a, generic. Like a, that, that's like your high school football team. Or well, the LA, Wildcats. LA like, Wildcats sounds like if you like made a TV show about a professional football team, but couldn't legally use NFL names. Like that's yeah. the name you make up. The LA exactly. Wildcats. Exactly. Yeah. You're a hundred percent on that one. Um, uh, I give I it a C. Yeah, I I would I would say I would say a C, even a C minus maybe, because the color scheme, it's it's very, I I always associate that like that orange and red, kind of with um, kind of I guess with the Arizona New Mexico like the desert even mm. though like L A is still in the desert it's just not it's not the colors that they really use orange especially I don't think any of the L A teams have orange so Wildcats. Uh, definitely a hard pass on that one. Um, so, enter their team, enter their den, and be dominated. February twenty twenty. Pass. Yeah, I want to pass. Uh, next up, we've got the uh, your New York Guardians. Um, uh, I would venture to say that they they might also be your New York Guardians, seeing as that they, they are my closest they did team. Not they did not include a New England team, and this would be the closest uh, closest franchise. Devastating. Did that, did that kind of surprise you? Uh, no. You know, what it is – honestly, it's a weather thing, and I think we might have touched on this in the XFL episodes, but because it is a spring league, they don't like to put the teams up north because when they start playing in February, there's snow issues. The uh, AAF did that as well, where they try and keep the teams as south as possible. And you'll look outside of New York – Maybe D.C. but um, and Seattle, I guess, but it's really not as much of a snow concern out there. Uh, but the rest are kind of southern teams. So, no, that doesn't surprise me. I don't think yeah. New England is a big enough market to support both an NFL uh, and an XFL team. Uh, yeah. Guardians, yeah. I like – I think the name alone is kind of not memorable, the Guardians. Uh, but I like the angle they took. I like the Gargoyle, New York, Gotham – um, I like that angle. I think the logo is striking. 
I think it's attention getting. Um, I like how the New York Guardians is stylized and it's sort of stylized logo. I think it looks really good. Um, I would say this is probably, I mean, there's only eight. I'd say it's in my top four. Um, I sure. think it is one of the better ones. Not my favorite, but I think it's solid. So what would you what would you put it? Um, I would give this like a B plus, like a B plus, yeah. maybe a little bit A minus, but mostly B plus. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll start with the name, the New York Guardians. I, I'm not crazy about the name. Uh, number one, I, I don't, I don't really like that they dropped New Jersey from the, you know, like the, you had the New York, New Jersey hitmen hit of yeah. the former, former XFL. Um, I wasn't crazy about hitmen back then, but um, something something about the font, something about the style of the font, it, I really like. Yeah, I like that it looks it looks kind of Art Deco, which I think you know fits the city aesthetic perfectly. Uh, I like the um, color scheme. Yes, really, I'm a big fan of the of the black, silver, and red. Yep, I think that looks really, really cool, and I think the uniforms are going to look really sick. Uh, something tells me I'll be purchasing a New York Guardians uh, apparel some sometime in the near future. Uh, what I do think is a missed opportunity, though, I think the the logo itself is shaped a little bit weirdly. I like. I wish they had kind of taken the NY. Kind of like, mm. kind of like almost the like the Giants logo and like how it's an N and maybe maybe like put this logo into an NY form or something look like shape that's shaped like an NY. I think that would look cool. You None know, of the, I mean, all, all the other. You look at the the other um, some of the other ones have regional uh, designs like the Houston Roughnecks. Los Angeles is the laziest regional design, but it is a regional like it does. You do know where they're from, and uh, DC has it right on the shield there. So, yeah, the, and you know what's funny about the Guardians logo is if you had told me that was the Wildcats logo, I probably would have believed you. I don't think it's got enough Guardian New York in it. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, it's called the Guardians, but it, maybe it should have been the Gargoyles because it looks no. like a gargoyle. Is is what that's the? And if you watch the little preview, they do show like gargoyles in the in the video. Yeah, that's the whole thing. So. I mean, it's it's fine, and I, I think a solid a B B B plus. I would say B plus would be B plus. Is, is fair. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, your St. Louis Battlehawks um, with their uh, shield and wings logo, uh, a reference to St. Louis's rich uh, aero um, aerospace aeronautics um, airplane history. Uh, I think. I think this is. Of the names alone, Battlehawks is the most XFL name, I think, among these. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of... I think the logo's really good. I, again, I think it's going to look good on a t-shirt and good on a uniform. Um, but I, it's kind of vague to me, the whole thing. It's like, it's not memorable. Like, when you... At some point in the future, you're going to be like, Sean, what are the eight XFL teams? Battlehawks is going to be the one I forget. I Probably. guarantee you. A, because it's St. Louis, which really isn't a major market. Like, the only reason they put a team there is because they lost the Rams, let's be honest, and they had an open stadium. Um, but I think it's a good attempt. I mean, I think it's solid. It's definitely in the middle of the pack. I would not say it was bad. Um, of all the, I think of all the logos, maybe besides the Wildcats, 
I think this is probably the laziest okay. one. Just a you know a sword with wings. I, I don't know. It's something. It looks like it would be a, like a brand for a child's toy, like the Ooh, battle hawks. Like based on a cartoon you've never seen. Exactly. Yeah, they would like you, you would go to the store and buy like have your get your mom to buy you these battle hawks. Like, I agree um, with that. What were the? Now that reminds me. Remember the toys that had the you would pull them and they would like fly. The, you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I don't know what they're called. They would like spin. Yeah. They, they had like different. That was a huge fad. Like, I was huge not craze. allowed to play with those. My parents were afraid to put our eyes out. Yes, they were probably right. I remember definitely, definitely. Uh, I remember definitely having a lot of fun with them, but I also remember them being pretty. Some of them could be pretty dangerous for for the kiddos. But anyway, the Battle Hawks is, is what I would call a toy that was like that, where you like. Pull the string really fast and it like flies. And then it breaks like that. five minutes after you start yes. playing with it. And then you cry and yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I'm not too crazy about the logo either. I, uh, yeah. Um, St. Louis Battle Hawks, probably going to be very forgetful. Yeah. But they are cleared to engage February 2020. 2020. Yeah. All in all, yeah, I'm going to say a C, just a C. Fair enough. This one. Mm hmm. Uh, next up, your Seattle Dragons. Uh, their logo, a dragon. Um, I think the logo is certainly the most uh, action-packed logo of the bunch. Um, perhaps the most rendered. I hate the name. I hate the yeah, name. I really hate the name. It doesn't make on. any sense. The Seattle Dragons don't make any sense whatsoever. Even like the the Seattle... Um, leviathans or the sea i'm just trying to think of like a more water based like something that would exist in the pacific how about the sea dragons the D- seattle sea dragons it yeah. goes with the seahawks much better idea or the seattle bigfoots or something like a creature that's known for being in that area okay but okay i don't get it and I also the- they, yeah they could pull out like a like some kind if they want to go for that mythology lore route like pull out some sort of like northwest pacific native mythology don't go borrowing mythology from halfway across the world it's one of those things where it's like if i went hey matt is the dallas renegades an xfl team you'd be like yeah probably or if i were like the, we're the st louis battle hawks are they an xfl team you'll probably if i go to the seattle dragons that sounds like a wmba franchise like that could be literally anything yes. it's so vague seattle dragons it could it could also be like their their fc team like the Absolutely. the uh, yeah soccer team, the dragons. Um, at least the Wildcats sound like a football team. Do you know what I mean? Like it's lazy, but at least it's applicable. Yeah, I just don't I, get I, it. I don't know. See, I I actually really like this. Okay. I like the logo. I like the color scheme. I, I I'm always a fan when when sports franchises try color schemes that you don't often see. Like I, I love the the throwback Arizona Diamondbacks uniforms of the of Ooh, the, the yeah. mid nineties, mid to late nineties. The late ni- that was um, that indigo and and that uh, teal, uh, sort teal, of like that was cool. I thought that was really cool because it was it was unusual, and I hated when they changed it because then they just they they t- they picked red, of course, like like fifty percent of the other MLB teams out there. Um, and 
I, I I love when 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 sports franchises do that, and the dragons have that uh, green, orange, and blue are their 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 colors. Um, I think their uniforms are going to look pretty sick too. And I think that the logo is really badass. It's got like a lot of, uh, and and even even this one, like at least the dragon is the way its head is reared back. It looks almost like an S. Of course, they didn't fully commit to it. I think if they had maybe flat of like contoured the bottom part a little bit, it would be like a, like an S, like a Seattle. But um, I I like it. I think I'm going to give it an A minus. Okay, I'm yeah. going to give it. I'm going to give it a. B. It's not bad. I just don't get it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the name. I, I don't think it's the best name. Seattle Serpents. Much uh, better. Seattle Sea Dragons. Love it. Um, Seattle. See, if you were just like, oh, it's that football team, the Dragons. I'm like, oh, is that one of those old NFL Europe teams where it was like, you know, the, the Berlin Dragons? I would have been like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Next up, we have your Tampa Bay Vipers. Their green V with the yellow fangs on it. Um, I think, again, this is a real XFL name, the Vipers. I think that stands up to the rough tradition of the league. Um, I like the name. I hate the logo. I think the V is weak. Um, I think if you, like, didn't have the name under it, you'd be like, oh, is that the logo for, like, some new vape juice or something? Like, I don't <laughs> I don't quite – it doesn't have – it's kind of like the L.A. logo where it just doesn't have enough going on for me. But I like the name. I think the name is fine. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Tampa Bay Vipers. It, it, it flows. It has flow, the Tampa Bay Vipers. I like it. I like saying it. Um, I, I, the name is good. It also makes sense because I'm sure that you could find, if not vipers, there are dangerous snakes in all over, all over Florida. Uh, uh, I'm also, but that being said, I'm a I'm a big fan of the colors, Sean. I think that the uh, that that green and that yellow is something that you don't really see too often in um, in sports teams, and. Uh, I hope it's. I, I just hope that when the Vipers play the Dragons, there's enough. I guess there'll be enough because the Dragons have have blue and orange there too, and the Vipers have the yellow. But, um, I think it's yeah. I think it's pretty solid. Uh, I yeah. Of of I think the name is definitely better, but the logo of the Dragons is better. Oh, hundred percent. So, hundred percent. Um, Not even close. Yeah, we'll say like it's a B plus or so. I'm gonna give it like a C plus. C plus. C plus. It's fine. Yeah, it's it's not the most exciting logo. No. Also, because it's a viper, you would think it would be like it, there's nothing that that V doesn't look like a viper. It doesn't look like it's no. It could be for anything. It could be anything. That's yeah. right. Right. It, um, it looks like an energy drink. Or it something. does. Yeah. Viper. That's a good name for an energy drink. Um, our final team, your Washington, D.C. Defenders and their shield logo with the lightning bolts. Um, clearly, there is 100% some soccer club somewhere that they ripped this. This looks like every FC shield logo I've ever seen. It lo- It's a logo that looks like it. it's rife with deeper meanings that I'm sure don't exist. No. Like, again, um, if you show this to me and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's the Washington, D.C. football team. I don't even know their name, but that's definitely their logo. Because that shield is so, to me, associated with uh, soccer. Yeah. 
the only thing I will say, I mean, the, the, the white and red is, it is the color of the DC flag. So, and it also has the, the stars on it. Um, so I guess, in, and I'm looking up if, if the DC flag has, yeah, it has three stars on it. Um, so it is, it is, I guess, true to the, true to its city, probably more so than most of these other, um, logos are. That being said, though, I, I, I again, missed opportunity if they had just spent mm. a little bit more time and maybe this is just the story of the XFL. I mean, it was the story of the XFL the first time is ru- rushing into things. But if they had spent a little more time designing it, what I would have done with this logo, why not? It, it, it's, it's got the four, four-sided shield. How about a five-sided for the Pentagon? Uh, you see? A XFL should have hired Pentagon. us, man. I, I totally agree. And that's, that's kind of all I would probably change on this. I, I don't love the lightning bolts. It's a little too comic book for me. Mm. Um, but I would, yeah, I would change the shield into, I mean, I guess they want it to be like a defender, but the Pentagon is, is, you know, more iconic and, and native to DC. So I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it's fine. The name is weird. I don't like the name. I don't love the name. The DC defenders. It's flat. It's it's a, yeah, it's a boring name. It sounds like a show you would find on Netflix. Mm, The DC defenders. The DC defenders, right? Like it's a little too like agents of shield. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but what are you going to do? Well, how about this, Matt? Uh, cause we've spent plenty of time talking about this. Why don't you give me your top three? Give me your top three of eight. Um, the, the three that you think did the best job of both logo and name. My top three combined, uh, or yeah, in no particular order. I would say the guardians, the dragons, And the Roughnecks. I like the name Roughnecks. So, Yeah, I agree with you on the Guardians and the Roughnecks. Uh, and I'm going to give it to the Renegades because I think their logo is pretty good. Uh, they sound pretty tough. So <laughs> um, this is fun. It's exciting. We know a yeah. little bit more about the league now. We can start purchase, uh, purchasing our merchandise. Oh, can you? I no, not looked. literally their sites like next week will have stuff with the logo on it. Yeah, I was going to say the XFL um, would not be that proactive. Yes, yeah, as the gear site <laughs> yeah. is coming soon. Yeah. See, this is the, another problem. They 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 probably should have like, and and you can buy them today. Well, I was about to say you're probably right though, Matt. Up. They were still working on this like two weeks ago. Right. Right. I would I would say even like as early as like mid midweek last week. They probably scrambling. Oh my god, we still don't have that that St. Louis Battle Hawks logo. What are we gonna do? So, um, well, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch this for one season and then. It'll become a just a, another relic of the past. Mark mark down those words, Matt. We'll see. <laughs> remember remember when. Remember when when we're all big XFL fans. Yeah, you remember when the XFL came back? Yeah, that and was And then really it like weird. overtook the NFL? That was crazy. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's but. exciting. We'll be following XFL news for the foreseeable future, so come back here for more Stay. as it yeah. develops. Um Matt, we also had another big update this week on our other big present series, our our big James Bond rewatch. Are you ready for Bond 25 to get an official name? Uh, I thought I was ready, but... Apparently you're not. Daniel Craig returns as James Bond 007 in No Time to Die. Out April 8th, 2020. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-
It's got this sort of a throwback, uh, I don't know what you call it, logo. Yeah. I don't I don't know what that typeface is. I'm sure it has a name. Sean, I want, I want to try an experiment with you. Please before do. Before we get into whether we like the name or, or dislike the name. Okay. Okay. Now, I don't know how, how feasible this is, but I want you to think back or pull up maybe an image of the logos for all of the Daniel Craig movies thus far. And then look at this one and just tell me how out of place and uncomfortable it makes you. Oh, it's totally different. I don't yeah. disagree with that at all. This is and and in fact, this is um I think intended to be a throwback. That's exactly why they went with this typeface. 100%. Um I I I was really hoping that this would be some kind of a and I'm still I'm still kind of holding out hope that this title is like a misdirect. I don't like the title. I don't like it at all. I hate okay. this title. Okay. I'm just going to come out and Be say honest. It. I hate this title so much. Um, it would, it, it doesn't, uh, no time to die. Right. Is the title for our, our new movie. Bond, bond 25 is, is called. Yep. To die. It doesn't make any sense. No time to die. Like, you have you don't have enough time to, to die, or, or it's like die another day, and I hated it that is. name. For it is too. it is exactly based on that. Like how many how many times are you going to die another day? Tomorrow never dies. Live and let die. It, it's just it's too much with that. I li- I really liked how the Daniel Craig titles were so unique. Skyfall, Quantum of Solace, Casino Royale. They were all unique and yet believable as as um ian fleming titles mm. like you could believe that ian fleming well, would have it, it harkens I mean, back to goldfinger yeah. thunderball yes i i i just i don't like no time to die it is it is fleming-esque but it's it's also kind of it seems like it fits better with the roger moore era of films than or maybe late connery than it does the modern craig film it 100% sounds like a Roger Moore film. Roger Moore you, film. If you said Roger Moore is 007 in No Time to Die, I'd be like, yes, okay. I, yeah, uh-huh. Now, I will, I will let my theory go here, Sean. Uh-huh. I'm very excited to, to, oh boy. to bring this up again. Okay. Sean, do you remember when we were talking about our theories for Bond 25 and what we thought uh, the movies were going to... Uh, be about what the, what this new movie was going to be about vaguely and do you remember when i suggested to you my theory about dr no reappearing yes i do vaguely I remember that maybe now uh, this is just wild uh, speculation uh. but that's what we do here on up for debate um maybe this is a step in my direction Going towards like my theory that Doctor No may may be by the title being No Time to Die. Doctor No Time to Die. See what I'm saying? Like, and it and it's very like you said, it's a, kind of a throwback. And I do. I just think that. Um, I just think that the villain, 
whose name I'm forgetting, the actor who played him, Rami, Freddie Mercury. No, no not Freddie Mercury. He Rami Malek. Rami Malek. Thank you. Rami Malek would be. Um, yeah, he could be Doctor No. I think he would be a pretty good Doctor No. I just, I, mm. I definitely see it happening. So, I think that would be exceptionally stupid, but mm-hmm. I think you could be. It's not a bad theory. Yeah. So, there was a. Um, there we was a, a, an updated synopsis also released with the title, In No Time to Die, Bond has left active service and is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica. His peace is short-lived when his old friend, Felix Leiter, from the CIA, turns up asking for help. The mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be far more treacherous than expected, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. Um, yeah, Matt, I, uh, I agree with you on the Dr. No theory. I think that's solid. I don't hate the name. Here's the thing I feel about the James Bond titles is the title has to, I don't care if the title's good or not. The title has to match the movie. Mm. I don't mind that die another day is a crappy title because it's named after a crappy movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of feel that way with, with like Skyfall and, and Casino Royale is a good title for a good movie, you know? And so I have to see the movie to really judge whether or not this is a good title. If you're just taking it on face value, I don't hate it. Again, you're right, it is a bit of a throwback title. Same with the the typeface. But again, you got to remember, this is Daniel Craig's last turn as Bond. He is turning over the reins to someone else, and it would not surprise me if they're going to use the entire movie as a way to kick back the franchise a little less sort of um, back to where it was with Connery and that sort of stuff, where it's a little bit slower, it's not quite as quick-cut action-y. I don't know what they're after yet, because it's a little early, but I have a feeling this typeface is telling us something about the movie we don't know yet. You have to remember there's a new director on board, um, and I think this movie is going to take an interesting direction in terms of style and things of that nature. That's my prediction for this movie, is they're using this to set up a whole new direction for the franchise. And it won't be dark and gritty. That's not the direction anymore. They're not doing Skyfall again. They're not. No. No, so you think that they're they're going to be writing for the next Bond? Well, yeah. The, well, I can the rumor see that. is, um, uh, what the actress's name, Lashana Lynch, um, who will be in this, rumored as a potential replacement for for Daniel Craig, going in the direction of, of a woman, uh, someone who's African American. I think this is the movie where you throw everything out the window, like <laughs> Casino Royale did in a lot of ways. We talked about this when you transition to a new Bond. You have to start strong, and I don't think they're waiting for whether it's Lashana or anyone else to have their own movie. They're using this movie to set that up. That's what you get in the title. That's what you get in the typeface. Yeah, is my guess. We'll have to see. Um, oh yeah, I know. I we, we didn't get a chance to talk about that, but I know that the internet just about lost its collective mind um, when when the um, I don't even want to call it an announcement because it wasn't really an announcement. It was something that was leaked. Mm-hmm. But um, it's one of those leaks that was like obviously done by, on purpose or intentionally to drum up hype. Um, now, what, what, what we all we know, all we know is that 007 will be played by a woman for the first time. That a woman will will take on the role of 007, right? So that could mean anything. I mean, that could mean what? It could mean that. The code name 007 is used by a woman. Well, doesn't necessarily mean that the character of James Bond correct will be a woman. Correct. It, it just means well, that the 
the code name. And I mean, the the only thing we know about the plot of the movie so far is that James Bond is missing. Well, he's retired. So, he's not missing. Yeah. He's retired, which means the 007 moniker has nobody under it at the moment. Yes. And and I think it was also hinted at that he, he needs to be called out of retirement or yes. something. So mm-hmm. so the, the prevailing theory now is at least that um, the female Bond is going – or the female 007. See, now I, I'm saying it too. The female 007 is going to go out and find Daniel Craig Bond – and either bring him back into service or I'd like to see maybe team up with him in some level, in some degree, as, as like his swan song and his like passing it, passing the torch. Um, where the character goes, I don't think anybody really knows. Right. It, would, it would just all be complete speculation from here. But um, but yeah, um, definitely it's going to be his last film uh, as Bond. And, and uh, I don't know. I don't really know. It's it's. Um, it's it's also up in the air right now, and there's been so many problematic things happening on set. Oh and yeah, rumors and injuries and and uh, a riot or a um, overall like almost strike going yep. on on the set. Like um, things have not been good. Not to mention uh, the filming schedule. I guess has been very difficult. Like they could, it's very hard to book Rami Malek and Daniel Craig opposite each other. So yep. we'll see. Well, we'll and see, but... one other uh, report that came out that we haven't mentioned yet over the course of the show is that Christoph Waltz is returning as Blofeld in this movie uh, and what impact that will have on the plot as well is very interesting. So this is going to be uh, has the potential to be a hot mess of a film. Uh, it also could be very interesting, uh, certainly yeah. at minimum, a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely go see it. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Cool. But. So it has a name. It's uh, No Time to Die. No Time to Die. Now, I will say that it lends itself to song lyrics very easily. Like, I think it's, it'd be very easy for somebody to come yeah, up with. Yeah, I think we played this game before, who we, who we <laughs> wanted to see, sing the next theme song. Yeah. Well, now that it has a title, um, I don't know. It'll, it's it's going to be the pop culture That'll determine that. See, I think they're going to go throwback. Throwback? I don't, because I think music is so fractured now that there's no, like, one big star who would do it. So here's my, are you ready for my prediction? I'm going to throw something out there so insane. Duran Duran. Awesome idea, but no. (laughs) Red Hot Chili Peppers. Huh. That is pretty insane. Because I think I think they would do a great job. I think they have worldwide name recognition even today. I think they're cheap to hire and they're still making new music. That's my prediction. But their vibe, and you know what? I mean, I was gonna say that their vibe is so not Bond, but the new aesthetic of the film, it's it's like a little more laid back, kind of like their music style is more like rhythmic and beachy yeah, but, i think I mean, they could pull off of a this, bond song most of the uh, a large chunk of the movie is going to be in the bahamas and a large chunk of or in jamaica rather a large chunk of it is going to be um focused around bond being retired i could probably see that i jimmy think it would, buffett would be smart yeah totally. jimmy, <laughs> jimmy buffett no time to die could be a jimmy buffett song let's be honest yes like that's why i'm retired on the beach i got no time to die <laughs> yes 
And it would, yeah, it would have the steel drums yep. going too. And yep. uh, yeah, that's a good idea. Parrot heads theme song by Jimmy Buffett. Um, yeah. All right, Matt. Well, that's our Bond and XFL updates. We'll keep you up to date as uh, news comes out and things progress. But Matt, we've got it only 45 minutes in. We got to get to the point that we are here. And that's to yeah. continue our summer book club. We each picked a book last week. We discussed One Summer America 1927. It was a very nice episode. I recommend everyone check that out. It's one before this on the feed, episode 155. Tonight, Matt, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. <laughs> Murakami. I got it. Yep. Um, big book. Uh, my first question for you, Matt, is uh, what did I just read? Neji Makitori Kuro Nikuru. That. I probably butchered that. But that made it worse. That's, that you is the Japanese name for this book. The, you read The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. A novel published in 1994-1995 uh, by Japanese author Haruki Murakami. Um, Which, by the way, a book that's so long in Japanese, they actually didn't translate whole sections of it. Because it would have been like a 23,000-page book or some shit like that. Yeah. They skipped whole sections of the book in the translation. So, this is... Um, this is, I want to say... Probably the most ambitious and well-known work of Murakami. Mm-hmm. Uh, who it is, is ambitious. Written, yeah, yeah. He he his writing style is described often described as dreamlike. Mm. Sean, did you find that to be kind of is? Uh, it, it is very much like you're reading somebody's dream. Yeah, that's at I least that's that. how I that's kind of how I I felt it. Yeah, this may be the best best book I've ever read in the first person perspective. Oh, do you say the best book you've ever re- the best read? book I've ever read in the first person perspective in the first person perspective interesting because um, I think I find books written in the first person are sometimes this book does such a good job of putting you into the mind of the character and just I will say again kind of that dreamlike meandering I don't know if part of that comes from the Japanese language or not but um, the way things are described in the book I found incredibly appealing um, I felt like the descriptions were very uh, thorough and uh, really did make you feel like you were part of the book and you really understood um, what the characters were experiencing in a way I haven't read in many other books. So I, I do give this book a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Um, the book is broken up into three parts or books. The book of the thieving magpie, the book of the prophesying bird, and the book of the birdcatcher man. Yes, um, all taking place in the mid to late '80s uh, in Japan. Yeah, and you'll find that's that's kind of the style for the most part of Murakami. Is uh, he sets it in the Japan that he um, came of age in, or that he the or the Japan he he it was growing up in. Uh, a lot of a lot of imagery deals with. Warfare or or post warfare Japan, which would be very much like his where he how he grew up and where the Japan he was raised. He was born in 1948, so it was right after World War II and the destruction of uh, of that war. Um, definitely has a large impact and a large influence on his his writing style and the and the themes in his book. Um, 
I'm not even going to try to talk about the plot. No, you kind of have to, Matt. Because what if somebody's it's listening so who hadn't read the book? So just in it's just so a couple hard. sentences, okay. just a couple sentences. Give them the. Plot. So you have the narrator. I mean, I can read Okada. the back of the. Do you want me to read the back of the book description? No, that's all right. I'm gonna I'll just watch me try to watch okay. me try to flounder this will be my fun. way through this. The narrator, I think his name is Okada. Yes, Tor- right? Toro. Toru Okada. Yeah. Right. He. Uh, I remember he's he's at his house and his wife calls him on the phone and they, she says that the cat is missing, right? That kicks off the book. And that kind of that's kind of the 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 Alice in Wonderland like the rabbit. So he goes to try to look for the cat and it's kind of like he he comes across all these different characters and misadventures along the way. Um there's a teenage girl who who's like following him around who pops up every got her name may she's may yeah she um may comes in and and uh like says weird stuff it, it, it this is very it's very much like a dream like like who do you wake up and you're like wow i had the weirdest dream like my neighbor was in it and she was talking to me about like um about about uh, popsicles or whatever it was that she was talking about, and then then all of a sudden there was like a talking cat, and then all of a sudden there were uh, like these hoodlums, like the, these these like gangsters that were hunting me down. And, uh, I had to hide somewhere. It was um, it's very much like that. One of the other characters is uh, Mr. Honda. Yeah, Mr. Honda, <laughs> and he's um, Mr. Honda is like an old man. Who uh, is he? The um, he's like a he's like a like a wise old man, kind sort of. of yes, like, in, like in, a, in a sort salt. of vaguely supernatural way that yeah you know, that current flows throughout the whole book. I use that term specifically. Uh, yeah, I mean the, the book the book centers around Toru. I mean he's the main character. The book is told from his perspective, um, and his wife Kumiko, who's actually not really in that much of the book, um, she disappears. Um, he later finds out that she's had a number of affairs, and it centers around that. And like you mentioned, yes, a number of characters come in and out. Um, some throughout the whole book, some kind of come and disappear. You talked about May, Lieutenant uh, Mamiya, Mamiya. Um, who was an officer in the army with Mr. Honda, um, the Kano sisters, Malta and Kreda. We've got Nutmeg and Cinnamon, the cat, as you mentioned. Um, there are a number of characters who show up, and the book begins with Toru being a pretty boring average guy. He has no job. He's essentially a stay-at-home guy. Um, while his wife works, he cooks dinner, he does the laundry, um, and passes the days by. And as time goes on, these sort of insane things begin happening to him, and the interesting perspective for me was that he takes them all in strides, more or less. Uh, at no point does he stop and say this is too crazy, even as things get legitimately crazy. Yeah, uh, it, it is kind. Of, it's almost like a coming of age story. I mean, um, a lot of it has to do with uh, like a power struggle. Yes. I see it um, where where Toru has kind of lost control of his life, or maybe never had control to begin with. Um, he's always being told what to do, whether at school or at, at, at the job that he used to have and and lost or, or um, especially with his wife, who is very seems to be very controlling or dominating his, or his wife's family as well, um, have a lot of expectations for him. So he doesn't really have much agency. 
Um, so as he goes around on this adventure, uh, he kind of leaves his comfort zone in a way and, and gains more, um, agency. Like he's like, he wants to, he, at first he wants to find the cat. Then he wants to save, uh, Kumiko. Uh, but then he realizes that Kumiko like left on her own volition. That's kind of the, I guess the ultimate twist of the book is that. Like she wanted to leave, and it's kind of alluded to along the way. It's it's pretty much he just doesn't want to accept that. Um, but he, yeah, he he goes on this um, this adventure, and I don't really know if he ever really finds himself. But at the end of the book, um, he does uh, he does like kind of kind of do things that he did, you didn't expect him to do in the beginning of the book. I, I mean, I would argue... kind of becomes more of a badass, almost. Well, I would argue the number one story, quote-unquote, in the book is his is his journey and evolution as a character. Yeah. Um, and him willing to accept the things that are happening around him, whether he has control of it or not. I think that's... Um, we didn't talk too much about Noboru, who is uh, Kumiko's older brother. Um, he's sort of the antagonist of the book, um, a public figure, a political figure, um, who throughout the book we learn that he's more or less evil um, and is, you know, has uh, killed uh, Kumiko's uh, sister um, after raping her. And the, there's a whole bunch of stuff around that. But um, I think that's part of Toru's battle against Noboru is that he's... He, you're right, he's not in control of his life, but he sees Noboru as someone who's taking other people's control away from their own lives, and I think that's that's what infuriates him so much and drives him to defeat him uh, in the end of the book. Yeah, yeah, so he, he definitely, uh, f by force, kind of reclaims, reclaims his own agency, is the way that I saw it. Yes, he absolutely. He re reclaims control. Absolutely, and, and to me, felt very... Um, and you might disagree with this, but I, I thought by the end of the book, he felt like a complete character. I, I felt like he made the circle journey all the way around by the final chapter of the book. Yeah, he definitely it's about him gaining empathy. Like He starts out as, as being very. Um, uh, be, yeah, just being very lethargic and passive. There's a word for it in Japanese that mm. I'm trying to think of. If it's the one I'm thinking of, it's uh, it's a hikikomori. A hikikomori is some is um a Japanese term for one who is inward, confined, and socially awkward, uh, reclusive adolescents or adults who withdraw from society, yeah, and seek extreme degrees of isolation and confinement. He's kind of like that, although most hikikomori are not married. Um, he he ha he just happens to be, but. Um, it, it almost, I mean, it, it, we start the book out with him in this very, um, bl bl blase lifestyle and unhappy marriage. You almost wonder if, you know, he maybe didn't even decide to do that. Maybe that was a decision that was like thrust upon him. Um, and you're right. We don't really see his wife too much in the book. No. She, uh, she really is, is barely in it. Um, although she does kick off the action. Yes, and concludes the book. And concludes the right. And when she goes, does she go? Does she go and visit him in jail or something? Yeah. Well, yeah. We at some point we do need to talk about the ending of the book because I have thoughts on that. <laughs> okay. Um, um. Yeah. So I think alienation and and um, 
like the struggle for for agency kind of kind of is the just really the main driving themes in the book so um uh, yeah what do you what did you think of the um what did you think of the cat would you think the cat was symbolic of anything so here's the thing i feel about this book matt yeah. overall is that i feel like i got 80% of it like 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 say this book has five levels to it which it you could argue maybe it does i feel like i've gotten four of those levels but i feel okay. like there's some level that despite my best efforts i just didn't get because this book is complex where things on the surface actually mean other things which actually mean other things which means something else things like the cat coming back I know there's a how that changed the book, but then I was also trying like, but the wind up bird means something and the blue mark means something. And there was a lot of that where I got most of it, but I just didn't get all of it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a, I, 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 as I read the book, I felt like there was a lot of symbolism going on. And oh, it was all symbolism. It's, it's very hard to, that's really all of, all of Murakami's works have that. Um, I've read several other books by him. And he always introduces um, objects or creatures, usually like creatures. Um, he's very into like animals as acting as symbols for either people or ideas, um, usually themes throughout the book. Um, I thought that the cat kind of in a way like symbolized his his contentment, like he was like his safety zone basically. Because when the cat disappears, he's forced to leave that safety zone of his house mm -hmm. to go and look for it. And then when it comes back, it, like, it seems to come back at like different stages of his development. Maybe in a way it, it like kind of mar earmarks his, his development as it, as it keeps coming back um, and then disappearing again throughout the book. Um, yeah. There's uh there's yeah. a lot to this book for <laughs> well, sure. Another thing I think the book did exceptionally well is I'm I you know this is I'm not bragging, but I'm usually pretty good at when books try and lay breadcrumbs to an outcome. I'm usually good at spotting them early, and this book did a really good job of setting up something that paid off fifty pages later in a way that I wasn't expecting or I enjoy. I, a good example of this is. You know, randomly, you know, this book loves to pop in and out of stories. It's multiple parallel stories in the past, in the future, they all happen at the same time. You're jumping around a lot. Out of nowhere, they tell the story of a six year old who um, hears the wind up bird, finds a live heart buried under a tree, and he can't make a sound. And then, and then way later in the book, there's a man who can't talk. And it, and all of a sudden I'm like oh shit that's the kid from earlier and and it and it felt <laughs> but it felt natural to me it's not like in a way that was super obvious and there were a couple moments throughout the book where you know these characters eventually you learn all the characters in the book especially um, these past war stories all relate to the main story in a way that I didn't see until they really put the pieces together for me so I think this book did a good job of weaving all of these different narratives. Um, together in a way that 80% of the way made sense. Yeah. There, there were another thing, like you mentioned, there, there were a lot of characters in the book. Oh boy. To keep track it's, of. It was a wide have, book. Most of them have a Japanese names and, and it, that, that can be a bit of a challenge, but well, especially with the history stuff, the history stuff, I get why it's there. I get why it's relevant to the story, but 
I know I often complain when we do book episodes that the book was too long. That's probably the most common feedback I have, and that's because I'm a millennial who doesn't like to read. And so I wish every book were shorter. I think the the modern day stuff works really well in this book, and I wouldn't trim it down. But some of the war history stuff and some of all these flashback stories, I really, by like the last third of the book, I was like, you gotta trim these down. Like, I don't need the full, I get maybe in Japan it's interesting because it's their history, and I was glad some of it was in there, but there was too much of it, and it was too long. There's like, where you go like four whole chapters where it's just nothing but, you know, these sort of old stories that only tangentially relate to the current characters. That bugged me. Yeah. Yeah, they talk about um, one of the soldiers defects, right? And he gets captured by the Mongolians army and uh, yeah, all during the, the World War II. The who's skinned alive. I mean, there's some graphic yes. stuff in getting trapped in the well, obviously, and the relation that has to the well in the uh, in modern day. There's a lot of very graphic stuff in the book in that respect. Yeah, the horrors of war, quote unquote. It's yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of those books that you can unpack and and talk about um, in terms of the symbolism of of all the these events. But I thought it was kind of cool. Did you notice the characters um, Malta mm-hmm. and Crete? Crete. Yep. Like like Malta and Crete, like the two islands in the Mediterranean. What did you think was um, What did you think was? Would uh, you think there was any kind of like symbolism there? I don't know. I I I, I didn't like. This isn't a fully developed thought, but. Like Malta is an island, Crete is an island, Japan is an island. Could there? I don't know. Like, and islands are isolated, and isolation is one of the themes. I'm just yeah, kind of spitballing. Yeah, but. well, this is one of those books. Like, you could write an even bigger book on all the things that are in this book. You know, it's annoying where you could go really deep and be like every single thing means something and make a good argument for it because it is so complex. Yeah. Um. You know, there's there's this whole sort of weaving narrative throughout the whole book of flow and the sort of soup. I don't know if supernatural is the right word to use, but the sort of uh, subconscious element that all of these characters are interacting with in dreams, in uh, in, you know, over the phone, uh, obviously the well and entering this this room 208 um, and the sort of nether place. I, I thought the book did a nice job with that. It didn't feel corny or cheesy. It felt well thought out. I find psychology as a whole very fascinating. And I think this book um, leading all the way up, I had a feeling as we start to talk about the end of the book, I had a feeling that Nobaru was the dark force at the end. That didn't surprise me, but I think the way they introduced it and sort of weaved it throughout. It's not your time yet. You're not ready. You still have other things to learn before you come back and do it. I thought all of that was was pretty well done throughout the book. Yeah. Um, it was it was kind of I like the I like the ways it was alluded to earlier in the book that Nobaru was gonna come back and and become he, he did seem to be the primary antagonist through through much of it. Oh yeah. Um he never liked he never liked Toru and uh, was very, very clear on that. Um, it it ha- also that he 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 was a, very much the 
the opposite, like the polar opposite of Toru. Oh, and many, absolutely. We 100%. talked before about, yeah, he's much more outspoken, outgoing, confident. People seem to like him or gravitate towards him. Uh, he had a political career, a successful political career. Um, everything that Toru was not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toru as being a shut-in, a recluse. A quiet um, introvert. And quiet introvert, Yeah. So that th- there's there were a, there was a lot of like opposite and opposing forces, um, and that was really the central one. Toro being the main character, the main protagonist, um, a- against the, the an- antagonist Noboru. But you also had um, you also had Malta and Kreta, which were kind of complements of each other. Uh, the two bro- the the brother and sister, the two um, children, cinnamon and nutmeg. They were. Um, they were uh, also kind of, I, I guess, in a way, opposites, right? You thought they were like they were, conf- like, contrasted each other. Uh, I don't know. It was it was cool that they that they had. So the only one that I didn't seem to um, didn't seem to have like really a, a polar opposite. I'm wondering Kumiko, the wife. Unless you want to maybe May, because no. May's doesn't seem to have a. No. a uh, Toru was Toru was her opposite. Toru was. Yeah, I think that's the the whole point of of their relationship and of the story, and 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 why they sort of uh, became distant. At least one of the reasons. I mean, there's other supernatural reasons, um, but I I think that they are opposites, and that's his journey is. To in a way be have a better relationship with her towards the end. I think that's. I think at the beginning of the book there are opposites. That's why they have nothing to talk about. Yeah. Oh, but I mean, like they're not. I don't think they're like mirror images of each other. No. I, no. I no. Think no. They're no. Just not, they're just not very good for each other, which is is pretty clear. Uh, Toru's. I think his his like opposing force was Noboru. It's almost like a yin yang thing. But I could see that. I could see that with um, with Kumiko not definitely not being a compliment, complimenting complimenting him. Mm-hmm. But um, so what, what did you, how did you feel about the ending? Were you satisfied by the ending? <sighs> you... you know, I don't want to be dissatisfied, but I kind of am. I I like you know spoiler alert. Uh, you know I like the. I was surprised at the ending and I liked that I was surprised because the book sets up this sort of fantasy version. You know, they talk about these parallel worlds. They talk about this version where Toru goes and essentially beats Noboru to death with a bat um, or is at least blamed for it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's interesting. And then at the end, you read the last chapter of the Chronicle, uh, which is Kumiko writing a letter saying, um, I'm the one who has to do this. Uh, I'm the one who has to pull the plug on my brother. I don't care if I have to go to prison. I have to do it. And then in the last chapter, the book cuts to the future where she's done it. She's on trial, essentially, for killing him. And Toru is with Mei saying, essentially, you know, I don't know what happens next, but this journey is over and we're starting another one. I'm a fan of the happy ending. I'm, I'm a fan of the cheesy them falling in love and getting together again and everything's good in the end ending, but I appreciate that the book didn't go there. And I don't know. I didn't love the ending. I liked the ending. What did you think? Um, 
I, I think I'm 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 kind of in the same boat. I think that while not satisfying, the ending does show a progression of of Toru. It, it shows that he um, he has willingness to he finally has willingness to kind of advocate and change things. Um, but like you said, it was uh, kind of it was just kind of um, convoluted, I guess, in a way. I don't really think it had to go to the places where it did, um, especially with, um, with with Kumiko and uh, and and her whole situation. I I I think it's the right ending for this book. I, you know, I think if this book had gone with a more traditional ending, I think that kind of defeats the purpose of the whole book. Um, I think what it did was it set up a sequel that was never written. That, that to me is the problem. Cause I finished reading. I'm like, great. Where's the next one? And they're like, <laughs> what do you mean? There is no next one. This is the end. Um, that's the unfortunate thing for me. I think if there had been another book, this would have been a really good ending. Cause you are left with essentially what is a cliffhanger. You don't know what happens to Toru and Kumiko at the end. Yes. It, it, it this, this, this does feel like a, like a perfect time for a sequel or a perfect uh ending for a sequel that never happened but you also had the um you also had the translations um and and missing chapters yes so you had like uh i don't know something like 2000 pages that were never translated or um about 25000 words yeah so I wonder I just wonder what that uh what kind of a difference that would have made. Well, we do know some of it. Um mm-hmm. for example, uh, the two missing chapters from the second volume uh elaborates on the relationship between Toru and Kreta, which by the way, as I read the book, I did notice that was missing. I really did feel like of all the characters he interacted with for some reason him and Kreta they talk about it, but it never really goes anywhere. Like I did feel that was legitimately missing. Yeah, like her, like her, pur- her purpose in the book just seems like irrelevant almost, or or just like she's just there to compliment Malta, yep, like to be so that they could have a have an opposite like everybody else. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm reading the missing chapter. Don't yeah, snap. they also cut a computer conversation between Toru and Noboru, which I think could have been interesting, but again, I don't know what that would have really added. Um. Yeah. Yeah, th- I guess none of this is really uh yeah. I mean it is, is what it really is. that relevant. Yeah. But overall, what would you uh how would you rank this book compared especially compared to other books we've read? So here's the thing, Matt. When I think about how I sum up this book, I really liked it a lot. Surprisingly enough, I liked it a lot. I one of the few books I would say I couldn't put down. Um, I found it engaging, interesting, unique. Um, I would read it again because I'm sure I missed something. I would recommend other people read it. I don't know if it's a good book. Well, what? Do you, well, how would you define good? Like, I don't know if it's like, like if you came to me and like, Sean, here are three reasons why this is a terrible book. I'd believe you. And if you came to me and said, Sean, here are three reasons why this is a great book. I'd believe you. Like, I don't, I can't quite put a finger on the quality of it. I know I liked it. I know you liked it, but it's just so out of the norm for books in general 
especially books that I read, it's very difficult for me to um, to sit here and say, yeah, this is a great book. I don't know. I liked it. You might like it. You might not like it. I, I genuinely have no idea. It's a total friggin' toss-up. <laughs> um, the, what I will say is, uh, thankfully for the book, I think it starts moving fast. I don't. If you don't like it by like page sixty or eighty, you're not going to like the book because I think it gets into it pretty quick, which I give it credit for. Um, but where I would rank it compared to the other books we've read, it's apples to oranges. It's very hard for me to say. I think in terms of the fiction we've read, we, which ha- frankly hasn't been a lot, um, The Witcher, and um, was there one other? Um. No, for fiction, The Witcher. I mean, I, you could probably count uh, of Dyson Men. Was yeah. that a fiction? That was, was a terrible fiction. But yeah, um, I mean, it's better than The Witcher. I would say. I, 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 amongst like, if I had to rank it amongst all of our books, it's definitely up near the top. It's certainly one of the best books I've read in a long time. I would say. Um, I would say if you are looking for a complex fiction book, this is a good one. Um. If you want a nonfiction book like the other ones we've read, probably don't read this. That that yeah. is my summation of this, Matt. What what do you have to say? I'll say I'll promise you that for most of you out there listening, th- this will be a very different experience. Reading this book will be very different from what you're probably what you're used to, and that's what I liked about it. That's what I liked the most about it is that it was it was ex- it's extremely Murakami is a, is an author that is unlike many others he his style is extremely unique uh and reading his books is having an experience that is rarely rarely found elsewhere seldom found in other um in other forms of media so i think um a book like his is is almost impossible to put in movie form like just imagine it would just be i thought about this today Mm-hmm. I could – I agree. Don't put this in a movie. I could see a limited series on Netflix, high production value, very stylized, eight to ten episodes. You'd have to cut a lot from the book. Right. I think it would cease to be – But you could do it. And it I think it, see, I think it, it would, would be interesting. I don't know. Because with, with the right effects mixing between the, the sort of supernatural world and our world and – um, I think it, I think it, I think it would be interesting. It wouldn't be the book though, and I, I agree with you on that. The only the only way I could see a Murakami, and this is true for anything he's written, it, it, and it, this is um, this is might be I don't know might be pegging um, it might be uh, I, I guess generalizing a little bit, but but the only way I could see more a Murakami film being made is in the studio studio. Ghibli style mm, animation, uh, animation of Miyazaki. Yeah, that's the only. I that's like when I when I read the books, that's kind of what I picture in my head anyway. Sure. Um, except most of his books are way too violent. Well, you're and gonna yeah, you're gonna for, yeah, for a, very sexy. Yes. Yes, for a, for a Murakami, but just that style. It would have to. It would have to be his style, like um, anime meets Walt Disney. Gotcha. Um, no, I agree with that, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's unique, and it's it, I definitely of all the books that we've read, I I want people to read this one more than all of the other ones, just for just so that they could have this the experience that we both had through reading it. 
Um, doesn't mean you're going to like it. Doesn't mean that uh, you're going to want to continue it. Like like Sean said, you, you could get uh, 50, 60 pages in, and you then if you don't like it by then, it's not going to. It's no. nothing. Nothing. It in only it is gets weirder and longer from there. It does. So it does. So, um, but it was I, for me anyway. It was a quick read, despite being. 600 pages um i got through it quickly um your results may vary uh but it was uh it was i'm you it know man, it does move yeah I, I when we did the original book uh summer reading club episode um and you listed your books i chose this specifically because i wanted a challenge i wanted something different than what i normally read and i'm so so glad uh, that you suggested it and that I picked it because it is very different from what I read. Um, and this is going to proudly go on my bookshelf as a book uh, I'm very happy to have read and enjoyed and genuinely, genuinely enjoyed a lot, which I don't get out of books too much these days. So very enjoyable. Great pick. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And uh, that concludes, I guess, our summer reading. It, summer yes. Is now Congratulations. Over. Your assignment is complete. <laughs> and already it's back to school. You've done your summer reading. And now you got to get back to. That's right. Back to back to the school. Back, back to, to the, the classroom. Yep. Um, Sean, when are we doing this again? Never. I'm sick of reading. No, no more books. No more books. Next time, the next time I go on vacation, that's the only time I read. Is on vacation. Is on vacation. Well, how about a staycation? A staycation. Ooh, that's good. Because um, I still have. I, I still have a number of your books that I want to read. I, I think, um, and I yours. I, I started. I started uh, uh, League of Denial. Yeah, uh, I finally got the name right. I started League of Denial recently uh, after finishing one summer, and uh, that's the next one I'm going to get through. And then I'm very excited to do Horns. I want to read. Yeah. Uh, horns so that'll be a great halloween read for us yeah yeah we'll definitely have plenty more book clubs coming up uh for sure it's a great topic for us it gets our minds uh expanded hopefully yours as well um check out uh, the wind up bird chronicle in a library near you um but matt that does it for this one mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here right as the wind up bird once said never more I don't quote, know about that. Quote, quote the wind-up bird, nevermore. That's true. This this book does not have a lot of quotable lines. No, no. They are I missing that. Basically none. <laughs> Lots of long sentences. <laughs> um, yeah. No, that does it for us here. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You can go to our website anytime, updebate.tv. Check it out. Get up to date on all of our past episodes. You can listen to XFL. You can listen to Bond. You can listen to our previous book clubs. There's a ton of great stuff up there. Check it out. Podcast available wherever you get podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we're there. You can also get the video version on YouTube. Of course, you can follow us at Up for Debate TV on Twitter and email us up for debate TV at gmail.com. Also, make sure you stay up to date on our movie draft, which continues on uh, up for debate.tv slash movies. We've only got a few weeks left in the draft, um, and there's a lot still up for grabs. Uh, we'll be having uh, the winner announced and our next draft in late September, early October. So that's coming up as well. A lot of good stuff on the horizon for the show, Matt. Um, as we move into the holiday season, we're already planning our next Up for Debate Presents, uh, which no spoilers yet, but that's going to be a great event. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get the show. Uh, you're going to want the freshest and the latest. Uh, on behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. Thanks, folks, for being here. We'll see you next time for another exciting edition of Up for Debate.
This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.